hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 167, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. Mr. Clamato Juice, how are you? <laughs> Very well. I'm keeping my eye on this strange lion on the run in Berlin story. I have not heard about this. Apparently, somebody walking their dog in the woods saw a lion following them, and so everybody in Germany's gone a bit mad, and they've sent loads of people into the woods to find this lion. In fairness to the Germans, Paul, I think if I, there was a lion on the loose anywhere near where I lived, I would be similarly concerned. I agree. It is a bit strange. It's one of those strange cases that occurs sometimes. We don't usually get them. There was um, somebody's pet, Black Panther, got out in France the other year, um, which was a surprise to all its neighbours, because <laughs> they didn't know he'd got a Black Panther. Okay. Well, I, in, in a nice little bit of synchronicity there, we have a story on this show which is, deals with particularly terrible neighbours. And I actually think the ones in the story are worse than the ones who were hoarding a panther. And that's saying something. I've known some strange neighbors. You know, of all the people I could <laughs> think of who would have known strange neighbors, Paul Q. Bestel is right up there at the top. Yeah, he once threatened to stab me because I told him, I said, if your kids keep throwing bricks at my dog, I'm not going to be very happy. And he said, well, that's what kids do. And I said, well, shall I tell you what I'll do? And he went, carry on and I'll stab you. But what kids do this? The children of the corn? <laughs> what the fuck? Funnily enough... This should be good. Ten years after I'd moved away from that property, I saw him in the shop again, and he went, Hiya! Like I were a long-lost friend, I thought. <laughs> Have you hit your head recently or something? Or someone hit it for him. Wave at me again, I'll break it off and beat you to death with it, mate. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird how some people just threaten violence and then, it, it, again, it's because it means nothing to them. They don't think that it affects anyone else. Whereas, you know, we're currently plotting how best to blow up their house and make it look like an accident. Always. Before we get to the stories, Paul, and we do have a wonderful selection of listener stories, uh, which are some really very classic, very classic uh, ghost stories, mm -hmm. uh, along with some Ouija board stuff, which I always enjoy. But um, I, I have a related question for you. That is a question of fire hydrants. Do you have in the UK this notion that fire hydrants are somehow filthy? We don't have them. You don't, you don't have them? No. Oh, okay. We have water supplies under the pavement, which the fire service flip up. Well, pardon me. I didn't know I was on a call with Tomorrowland. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've been trapped in a house across the road from a, from a burning abandoned church and had to be evacuated several years ago. So I was able have. to watch the fire service in action from the front line. Okay. This is a much less dramatic question than uh, <laughs> I think perhaps the setup implies. But the reason I ask is because I, I was coming home from the movie last night. I went to go see Once Upon a Time in Uganda, which is a lot of fun. It, it's a <laughs> documentary about the filmmaker uh, Nabwana IGG, which again, <laughs> tons of fun. Go check it out. <laughs> but um, I was walking home and I was passing some people on the sidewalk and I thought I'd move to the side to give them you know, room to pass. But in doing so, I had to walk around a fire hydrant and I lost my balance. So I reached out and grabbed the fire hydrant to steady myself. You know, no very quick thing. It was fine. But I, I very quickly recoiled. And I thought, why did I do that? Why did I? Rec and then I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother 
she had this thing that she thought fire hydrants were filthy. And I think it's because the stereotypical idea of dogs peeing on them in, you know, in movies and, and things like this. So she had it in her head that these things are just soaked, soaked in hobo urine or something. So if you touched it, you were like by transitive property, you were just bathing in piss. And I, I grew up with that. And I realized I, in that moment, I still had it. I reached out to, again, steady myself on the fire hydrant. And my initial gut reaction was to go, Ugh. even though there is nothing particularly filthy, again, that I'm aware of about fire hydrants, unless there are secret societies of people out there just rubbing nuts on random fire hydrants. And if there are, don't tell me. Do not email me at ghoststorygods.gmail.com. I wish to remain ignorant. But yeah, I, I reacted with such, such like disdain. And I thought, oh, what, where does that come from? Oh, an insane thing a lady put in my head 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So I was curious to know if that was a, a thing that also had infected the UK, but you guys are just ahead of us as far as infrastructure goes. Yeah. They even sometimes, if the fire got really bad, they have a special sort of uh, hydraulic projectile thing that they have to get a big bolt machine poof, 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 on, into the road. And then they got to go like a tank. But we might have to start a fire when we're at Paramede, just so I can see this thing. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, folks, we are not here to talk about fires. We are, of course, here to tell some ghost stories, and we have some great ones lined up. Before we do, though, of course, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, we didn't start the fire, but you have kept it burning, and our world still turning, and so we are deeply deeply grateful. Truly without our patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers, this show would not go, and we appreciate all of you deeply. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers, but we would especially like to thank the latest ones. They are Claire Kavanagh, Mary, Amanda Stogner, and Helen Lyons. Folks, thank you so, so much for your support. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Everyone who downloads the Ghost Story Guys or listens to us on YouTube or follows us on social media, you help make us who we are. But patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers are truly the ones who allow the show to continue. And for that, we are just so, so grateful. And while I'll wait till the end of the show to tell you about all the cool stuff you get if you sign up, I will say if you head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or sign up for GST Premium via Apple Podcasts, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. And again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or sign up via Apple Podcasts. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry's a musician and film journalist from Central California. His latest project, Street Witch, is available on streaming platforms everywhere. You can also find it at streetwitch.bandcamp.com. The W in which is two Vs. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Fort Gary Hotel from Alyssa. Growing up, I remember reading stories of the Fort Gary Hotel in Winnipeg. I loved these stories because the Fort Gary was something I could physically see. My family regularly went to Winnipeg, and I always wanted to stay there, but we were never able to afford it. Fast forward to adulthood, and I make pretty decent money. I've also discovered a passion for early 20th century architecture. When I can, I make a note to stay at the most historic hotels possible. 
When my mom and I planned a trip to Winnipeg, I seized my chance and booked a stay at the Fort Garry. The potential paranormal aspect was definitely a plus, but I was super excited to stay at such a historic location that has specifically kept its old charm. When we pulled up to check in, there was a city ghost tour happening outside the hotel, so while waiting for my mom, I quickly googled the haunting connected with the hotel. Now, when I was growing up, I read that the hotel would not disclose the room numbers said to carry these experiences, but my Google results brought me to multiple articles all claiming room 202. My skeptic senses went off because of that whole, if they can make money off it, I get a little skeptical thing, but it didn't ruin the experience. I was still getting to stay in a gorgeous location. Our room, 811, definitely did not disappoint. If you took the time, you could definitely picture what the room would have looked like in its original state. They kept it pretty well untouched. I loved it. Now the weird part. My mom and I settled into bed. She quickly fell asleep, and I decided to read a bit. What I didn't foresee is my mom is a lovely person, but she could put a chainsaw to shame and then some. I wasn't going to be falling asleep easily. Eventually, I got tired enough to try to sleep, and I rolled onto my side with my back facing her. We had two queen beds set up in the classic hotel style with a space between them. As I lay there, I was starting to feel tired, but was still wide awake. All of a sudden, I felt something hit my bed, so hard it actually pushed over the top mattress a bit. Immediately, I thought my mom had tried to get up and fallen into my bed. I had felt the crease in the middle right behind my back as a mattress shook. Imagine if someone kicked or pushed a mattress, how it would give a little around your hands before the thing actually moved. That's what I felt. I was about to turn around and check on her when I realized she was still snoring. I laid there trying to rationalize what had just happened. I've been in beds that shook from earthquakes before, but this was way different. It was way too aggressive. Enough to move me, and like I said, I felt the crease form behind me. I didn't know what to do, so I just kind of stayed where I was and eventually fell asleep. The next morning I woke up and really regretted not turning around. Would I have seen anything? I still don't know what to think. I tend to rationalize a lot of things, but it was just too aggressive, and I wasn't tired enough to have hallucinated. And uh, Paul, I had a look. Remember on the last episode we were talking about the Grand Hotels, I think on the Toronto episode, we were talking about this. And so the Fort Garry is another one of these really grand Canadian railroad hotels. It looks like quite the place. Now, apparently back in the day, the director Charles Lawton stayed there. Legend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I only really knew him from the film Night of the Hunter, which is a classic. But I, yeah, he's a, a legend a legend of the stage as well. Yeah. Yorkshireman. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he was born in Scarborough. And uh, obviously married to one of my favourite actresses of all time, of the early part of the 20th century, the incredible Elsa Lancaster. I don't even know the name. Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. And they were a uh, they were one of the original Hollywood super couples. I'll be damned. They were together 33 years until Lawton died. It's got to be some kind of record for the entertainment industry. Especially in that period. Yeah, no kidding. And obviously Lawton was famously bisexual. I did not know that. Yes, he was in love with Tyrone Power. Well, who wasn't? Indeed, he was a beautiful man. I, a while back I read the book Tinseltown, which is about the murder of a, of a director in 1920s Hollywood, I believe it was. And, um, yeah, people be fucking back then. There was, it was, uh, it was a real, we talk about debauchery now, like it's something we just invented. Uh, but folks, going to spoil it for you. Not true. Yes, you only have to, uh, 
unpeel the, the CD true story of what happened to Fatty Arbuckle to see what was going on. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Let's not dwell on that. Let's go back to Alyssa's story. <laughs> yes, let's. I looked up some, some reviews of the hotel online because <laughs> I, was, I was curious to see if anyone else had had ghostly experiences there. Because obviously, like Alyssa says, when f- places are famously haunted, eh, sometimes you think, is this legit? Is it bullshit? Although I, I will say if the hotel is not keen, if they're not selling ghost tours, then I'm a little more inclined to believe them. You know, if they, mm. if they push that experience, then ah, uh, yeah, you know. And in the course of looking up reviews, I found a couple I, I thought just thought I'd share. So there, there was one that uh, says, went home for a funeral and chose to stay here. Love the bar. Love the beautiful architecture. Love the historic aspect. I heard there was a ghost. She didn't visit me. All good. Did not love listening to the man next door snorting, peeing, hacking. You get it. <laughs> yep. I got to tell you, man, if I'm paying, because that looks like a not cheap hotel. If I'm paying that kind of money for a hotel, I don't want to hear anything from next door. Nothing at all. If I am paying you three, four hundred dollars, well, at this point, I, I understand that's not all that expensive, but, but it is for me. But if I'm paying you several hundred dollars a night for a hotel, I expect to get in there. I want it to be like the vastness of space. <laughs> it is annoying that. Nick won the, a free stay at this place outside of Victoria. It's sort of a new, new hotel up on the highway. So we, we went up there for the night and it was nice. I mean, the, the meal was exceptional. The food was very, very good. But um, the room, it was free. You know, it's got that going for it. That's it. Because again, this place normally is like three, $400. And this is before everything went to shit after the pandemic. Like this is, you know, again, I, I, I found out from uh, someone that the Royal Scott Motel down the street from me is three, $400 right now. And I can tell you right now, Buster, that shit ain't worth three or $400. Nice place. Not worth three, $400. <laughs> but anyways, so this was three, $400 when that was actually, you know, real money. And laying in bed with my lovely wife all snuggle up against me, what do I hear? But a man peeing with all the force of a struck fire hydrant. <laughs> On the subject of the bed shoving ghost, though, Paul, what do you think about that one? Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, there does seem to be a thing about a lot of ghosts who turn up in accommodation and hotels and bed and breakfast places where they always seem sort of centered around the bed. They're either moving it, pulling your pillars, taking the covers off, pushing it about a bit, shaking it. It it seems to be a real thing with ghosts staying in hotels that they, they seem very unhappy about the bed. In fairness, most of the hotels I've stayed in, I also have a problem with the bed. <laughs> well, the one I stopped in in Edinburgh, when Julie woke up on the Saturday morning, she thought my head had been eaten by a marshmallow because the pillow had just enveloped me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just my nose sticking out. And I thought... <laughs> I remember we, we stayed at one place, a friend and I, back when I first moved to the island, we went up to Port Hardy, which is at the northern tip, mm. about six hours drive. And we, I, we ended up staying in this, this motel. It was one of the last places to stay because it was a night where the ferry was running. So there's just tons of people there. And it was such a dump that my friend actually woke up in terrible pain that he did not have when he went to sleep. He was in agony the entire drive back. And we never figured out why. There was just something deeply uncomfortable. Maybe the, the mattress was stuffed with rocks or asbestos. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we should have known we were in trouble when we were at the, the only pub and there was an advertisement on the bulletin board for someone offering a full cougar pelt with skull. They had with skull in brackets. <laughs> Thank you very much for that story, Alyssa. 
Not a deer from Elisa. Another quick story, because I'm sitting here on night shift with nothing to do. Now I'm not sure what I saw, but it still makes me uneasy. It could have easily been an animal, but it was just... off. I drive a haul truck in a mine out in the middle of nowhere. Because of the location, we get lots of wildlife coming around, crossing our roads, coming up to our equipment for food, etc. Growing up in the area, which is very rural in the middle of nowhere, I'm also very familiar with the wildlife and how to recognise them. So one night, while I was still training, meaning I had a trainer riding with me, we turned a corner and something started running across the road in front of us. It was too far and dark out there to make proper features, but the body and limbs were clearly distinguishable. Something that makes me feel more validated with this experience is that my trainer, who also grew up in the area, was just as confused as I was. After it was out of sight, I asked, What was that? After a moment, she responded with, I've no idea. Deer? I mentioned the way it ran, and she decided maybe it was coyotes. But then, of course, the height didn't even come close to matching. Luckily, I have a pretty solid visual memory, so once we stopped to get loaded, I kept thinking about what it was that made me feel so uncomfortable. And that's when I figured it out. The deer-shaped thing was running pretty quick, but each leg was moving individually and bending at odd angles. The best way I can describe the movement would be like when a dog puts out booties and does that funny leg lift thing, but fast. Now the part that really gets me though is the back legs. They aren't meant to bend at a forward angle then spring, and the knee bends towards the back. Please don't hate me, I'm bad at explaining, but Bren, I'm sure you've seen enough deer to know how deer move. This thing didn't have limbs like that. Instead, it seemed to have four front legs as they all bent forwards at the knee. I honestly don't know how to explain it better than that. It was uncomfortable to watch, but even more so to recall. So that was from, uh, from the same listener, obviously, that was from Alyssa. And thanks for sharing that. I love the stories because this sounds kind of like the not deer, Paul. And we, we've talked about that a little bit on this show. But I, in the time between we've last talked about not deer and, and more recently, um, obviously I've read a little bit about them and I thought they were a TikTok thing. So of course I dismissed them completely because most of what's on TikTok is bullshit. Shocked face, shocked yep. face. Hard truth incoming. I don't want to know facts. <laughs> well, boy, do I have the social media platform for you. Yeah. Oh, right. Good. Um, but, uh, it apparently actually, it predates TikTok. Apparently it's, it comes from, they figure roughly maybe 2014. And the, uh, and, and I'm curious to see what you think, because I'm going to describe to you for, for our listeners, and I'm going to see what, whether you think this is the same, same situation. I guess it originated with a Tumblr post from Car uh, North Carolina. And the woman who put up the post, she claimed this was a common thing, that this is, you know, people, everyone in Appalachia knows about this thing. And then when pressed, she kind of went, oh, okay, maybe not everyone. Eh, maybe it's just people I know. And I shouldn't say this part, but I think, yeah, maybe I just made that shit up. But um, I guess there were some accounts from that time of really fucked up looking deer. So, you know, there was some, this could have originated, but apparently there was also an outbreak of hemorrhagic fever in deer mm -hmm. in the Carolinas around that time. And part of the, the symptoms of that include uh, really unusual movement. And so that sort of explains very likely where that, you know, that, that originates. But I'm kind of curious to know if you think that's a situation here. 
where we live, we've we've got large herds of deer all over the place. We had a, a, a marvellous encounter after the first lockdown finished here in the UK. And we thought let, the best thing we need to do now is go to the Peak District and, and put ourselves in danger. <laughs> so we went for a walk and we, there's a pub up there called Fox House, which is this beautiful pub that looks down into the Peak Valley and it's beautiful, stunning, especially on a, su- a sunny day. It's, you can see for miles. It's marvellous. And there's a obviously you can get into the peaks there's there's loads of trails leading off from this pub and you can go down to Castleton and off into the peaks and incredible places so we thought we'd park there and then we can walk from the pub up the uh, up into the peaks and there's a certain peak that you can get to it's about I don't know three miles or so so it's a good couple of hours walk and as we got there there's this like uh, small copse of trees behind the pub and I could see something moving about and it was pretty high up so I bent round and had a look and there was there was four or five deer just in this tiny copse of trees for some reason with a massive stag like with enormous antlers and everything and i said julie look at that and honestly when you when you when somebody's never seen something that close in real life before they've got this look of childlike wonder on their face and julie was like a little kid she was like ah she couldn't believe she was this close to these incredible animals they were beautiful so um, I'm I'm pretty familiar with with how deer move, and and that just sounds. I mean, even if they'd got some kind of parasitic disease, it, it wouldn't cause the back limbs to work the opposite way around. It reminded me a little bit of. Did you ever see the Arrival with Charlie Sheen, where the mm. aliens walk with their knees bent the other way? It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've seen all kinds of things, you know lambs born with extra limbs on their back and all sorts. Because strange things can happen. So, but even if you think about how a a, a body is me- mechanically designed to move, that it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm bamboozled. The 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 extra limb on its back thing reminded me. Uh, we're going to be having very likely the author Steve Stred on an upcoming episode of Talk Spooky. And uh, Steve, when I interviewed him for Largely the Truth way back, we were talking about how he had gotten involved with this online cult uh, in order to research his book, Father of Lies, or his Father of Lies trilogy. And he was telling me that, and folks, listen to that episode, it, it gets pretty wild. But one of the crazy things that he experienced as part of this online cult, it was part of their belief system that you could add body parts to yourself, and that after you died in the next life, you would get to keep those parts as a natural organic part of your body. So one of the cult members actually, they suspect, died from sepsis because he sewed an animal's limb into his own body. He like cut open, cut himself open and sewed the limb onto himself. And of course, it just over time, he kept getting sicker and sicker. And he, I guess the guy dropped away, but Steve thinks that, um, yeah, the guy actually just died because of this. And I got to tell you, man, I love research. There is nothing I love enough to research that much. Yes, well, I've, I, I know all about the strange experiments the Soviets were doing during the 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s involving human animal gene splicing. And uh, if you ever want to terrify yourself and never sleep, you can search for their videos on YouTube and see these horrific so, things. I, I've heard of this. Those videos are legit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, uh, there was no secret. They were Lenin and then Stalin were obsessed with trying to create a race of super soldiers and so what they were trying to do was to um, utilize the ape and gorilla strength, because, you know, a chimpanzee is considerably smaller than a person. 
but it will easily sure. kill a man easily you know rip your arm off with with very little effort they are incredibly strong vicious cre- i mean chimpanzees are incredibly violent creatures um regardless of how cute they are and, and this way that we've been brought up in 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 ent- popular entertainment to believe that all chimps are cute and lovely well yeah some of them are but some will eat your face if they have to or if they even want to you know the term chimp strong is a, is a thing for a reason yeah um, and so a lot of that, they were obsessed with creating races and, and adapting things. I mean, some of the, there was a very famous scientist, uh, is it Blezhnikov, Blezhnev, who famously did experiments uh, splicing dogs together. And I assume you don't mean like getting an Alsatian and a retriever together in a hot tub playing some Barry White. No, no. He was basically stitching them together, creating a Frankenstein monster, like two-headed dogs. Oh, that's not great. And they were living. Okay, so I, I know this is probably a stupid question, Paul. Why? I get double O chimp. I get that. Monkey strength. Hide like a human. Sure, fine. But basically, he's just made Italians there. They're very angry. They're very strong. They're very small. He's made Italians. That's what he's made. <laughs> well, as, as, as with lots of things in, in regards to the pushing the boundaries of science, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And often a lot of people do it regardless. You know... Luke, obviously, in his day job, he's a playtester for video games. And uh, you know, he was telling me one day he was trying to break Minecraft at work. And so he was throwing a bunch of chickens into a flaming pit. And it never occurred to me, and I suppose this is just my naivety showing through, it never occurred to me that some people just do this for real. They try and break the simulation through abject cruelty. And that's fucking terrifying. Absolutely. So, you know, nothing surprises me. In, in, in what goes on because there are there you know there's visual evidence of these things you know they are they are legitimate and a lot of that information only came out when the when the Russian Soviet Union collapsed and then we finally knew what they were up to but here's the thing the Russians were doing it I would guarantee that the Americans and the Chinese probably were as well they've just hidden it better wait I remember when I was really getting into remote viewing back in 2015. I came upon this report, and I've never been able to find it again. I wish I'd saved it. I thought I had, but obviously I hadn't. But it was a report from the RAND Corporation, which is like a military think tank. And it was prepared for the U.S. government, and it was looking at the discrepancies between American research methods and uh, Soviet research methods as far as the Fordian goes. And they, they said it was essentially like a an unbiased examination and comparison of the two different approaches. And basically they said that the American approach is hamstrung by religion. So they, they, they weren't getting, they weren't going as far as the Russians because they just couldn't, again, this idea that, well, this is demonic or something, you know, that was stopping them there. But then I guess on the Soviet side, the problem was that some of the things they were, they were investigating kind of correct or not correct what I'm looking for, went against the party line as far as as religion goes. So they were both kind of hamstrung by religion in different ways. You know, the, the party was uh, in Soviet Russia was kind of like, well, no, this doesn't happen. This can't be real. So no. Uh, whereas again, it was in the Americans, it was like, no, this is real, but this is the work of Satan. So the, the Russians apparently had gotten further, but were still hamstrung by the, as I remember that they were hamstrung by these things. It was kind of a fascinating comparison between the two. And again, I'm super pissed. I, I was never able to find that again. It seems quite, uh, quite a sensible conclusion to be honest. Yeah. 
So, uh, Alyssa, I don't know if you ever expected to hear uh, Italians are chimp people in disguise in response to your story, but we certainly thank you for sharing it. The Party from Peter I have a story to tell from the 1960s. I have to fess up that this was printed in 14 times in the autumn of 2019, so I don't know if you can or would want to use it on your show. Here it is anyways. My father was one of five children. When I was a young boy growing up in Leicester in the 1960s, every Christmas at least two of the five siblings hosted parties for all the extended family and friends, of whom there were many. The parties were of their day, with modest amounts of alcohol being consumed and all of the children present. For many of the guests, these events were the only time they saw each other from year to year and were quite well attended. One year when we were hosting a party, after the usual entertainments of playing pontoon for pennies and a few other classic party games, someone suggested we have a seance. The dining room table was duly cleared and lexicon cards were used to set the alphabet in an oval shape around the edges of the table with handwritten yes and no markers at each end of the oval. A wine glass was produced and upended in the center of the oval and everyone assumed the classic position of one finger each on the upturned base. The lights were switched off, and the only illumination in the room came from the coal fire in the grate. The traditional opening of, Is anybody there? was said by my father. Of course, there was no response initially, and so the invocation was repeated. After a while, the glass began to move in small ovals, mimicking the way the alphabet had been laid out. I remember some of the younger women being a bit jumpy, and there were the usual accusations of, you're moving it, Uncle Dennis, quickly followed by the inevitable denial. Once the glass was moving, my father asked who was with us. The glass moved more purposefully and started to move to specific letters, gradually spelling out M-A-G-G-I-E. Maggie was my father's mother, who I'd never known because she died of cancer before I was born. There were some oohs and ahs at this claim, and so my father asked if Maggie had a message for us. Again, the glass moved to the letters and this time spelled out H-A-V-E-S-A-M-C-O-M-E, or Have Sam Come. The only Sam the people in the room could think of was an elderly Uncle Sam of my father's family, who was in a retirement home and wasn't able to attend these gatherings. We repeated the message, and the glass moved to yes to confirm that this was correct. After that, the glass stopped moving, and after a few more attempts at Is Anybody There with no response, the seance came to a natural end. The lights were put back on, and the glass was retrieved from the table and ceremoniously turned the right way up to release the spirit, and my cousin's husband opened a window to let the spirit out. I think he was teasing me since I was only about eight years old, but I couldn't be sure. As it was now pretty late, the party broke up and the guests left. My parents, not wanting to come down to a sink full of dishes the next day, did the washing up. The last thing to be washed was the glass used for the seance, and whilst it was being cleaned, it shattered in the sink. It may have been the temperature shock of being placed in hot water, but none of the other glasses had broken. Everyone agreed it was a bit spooky, and Father speculated that it might have been the vibrations caused by the glass moving on the polished wood surface of the dining table. The next morning at around 9.30, we had a call from the nursing home that was looking after Uncle Sam. They told us he died suddenly in the small hours of that morning, at around 3 a.m. That would have been around the same time the message came from Maggie. Even though I'm not remotely religious, in fact, atheist, if anything, this experience may be why I'd be quite prepared to believe in spirits rather than a god. And Paul, there was something that I wanted to ask you about this to get your thoughts on. Because obviously the skeptic would say that, you know, Ouija boards are always, it's idiomotor effect, right? We're just micro-moving it without realizing we're micro-moving it. 
But if that's the case, why would it ever stop? Why would it would, like? Why would it collectively stop that? Because I think if it, if it's really our bodies just moving it unconsciously, why wouldn't we just keep going forever until our arms got numb? Well, having done, I don't know, several hundred Ouija sessions in the past, um, I would say that ninety five percent of it's absolute bollocks. Okay, but but I've seen things that I can't explain away. Really? Definitely. What's uh, for instance? I mean, this is like 30 years ago, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. The two that always stand out, we were doing it, it was a crisp October, November night, six or seven of us, because we used to do it, obviously, in a graveyard, um, in an old embalming hut, because that's the best place to do it. Um, so we used to Naturally. walk around and get names off the graves and then see if we could get in touch with them. Uh, which led to some fun with some of them. But um, <laughs> um, this one particular one, we were talking to somebody and we're just the general ghostly bollocks. And then it just started going M4, 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 M4. And we kept trying to talk to it and it just kept going M4, M4. And then after about five minutes, it stopped doing that. And it went back to that. And we carried on for an hour or so. Good night, God bless. Like, like the the contributor said there, we used to put it to good night, God bless, and then blow in the glass to release the spirit. Right. Um, this was before we ramped it up and started doing them on mirrors. Of course. Anyway, afterwards, we all went home. You know, we were like 16, 17 years old. Um, day after, got up, put the news on, telly was on, news on, and there'd been a massive multi-car pileup on the M4 at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, my God. Now, nobody in that room had a wireless radio. Remember those kids? <laughs> or anything like that, because obviously we'd have all heard it. Sure. There was no no way to know that that would happen. The motorway is nowhere near where we live. It's the other end of the country. And yet we categorically saw that happen, and then the day after saw that the news that there had been a massive multi-car pileup on the motorway, on that particular motorway. Now, I cannot explain that at all. Son of a bitch. Like I say, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of sessions, you know. You know, and I'm not exaggerating. We used to do it seven nights a week, three or four hours a night. Wow. I have never used a Ouija board. I've never done any... Actually, that's not true. I've done pendulum divination for a little bit, but never a Ouija board. Yeah. I'm very sceptical because I'll always ask questions that I, only I know the answer to. I like to right. test, test it because you can't, you can't be a believer if you accept everything. You have to have... Evidence. Sure. You've got to. They've got to be able to prove that who you are speaking with isn't somebody pissing about. Sure. Yeah. And so I would always ask questions that only I knew that even my closest friends wouldn't know, and they never ever gave me a right answer. Interesting. And yet there's there's three or four incidents that happened that really did make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. To the, to the point there was one particular evening where I was scared walking home i was terrified i was convinced i was being followed absolutely convinced what happened during the session uh we got the devil i'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not a very busy guy these days <laughs> well he wasn't then you know just could pick up the phone anytime the 80s you know a lot of downtime and then um, it was it was it, it it was one of those sessions where it was just like <laughs> and it was proper flying oh, but it was working in such a way that it wouldn't tip over. So if it was being pushed, and we always used to do it with our fingers upturned as well. So you'd have your nail on the glass. Oh, okay. You know, my grandmother was a spiritualist. I know all the tricks. Um, 
so it would always be hard you could always tell when people do it because when they when people are trying too hard it flips the glass always 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 flips the glass oh of course right right too much pressure flips and so that was just going (laughs) literally you couldn't you were struggling to keep your fingers on the on the glass it was going so fast um and it was just really dark and really nasty frightening kinds of conversations and things were coming out that were making everybody feel very uncomfortable and saying things that you know there was a couple of people there who were told things that i don't think they wanted to be public knowledge shall we say oh and people were getting fr- to the point that people were leaving and saying no i don't want to do that but obviously you know billy big bollocks here has to stay to the end you know <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, yeah Primarily, because we couldn't get the bloody whatever it was it wouldn't go it would not go and it took us about oh, an hour and a half to get rid of it it would not go would not go whatever it was and that was the other thing it was still doing all people were coming dipping in and dipping out and it was still going <laughs> so the same person wasn't pushing it the same person wasn't on it all the time it was a rotation right. it was like half a dozen six or seven of us so usually there'd be like three or four and people would change people would dip in dip out you like they come on you come off and all that so it, it wasn't the same people so that again you, it, it takes a level of planning and and trickery to involve more than one when one person's doing it that's fine it's you you're, you've got your own, you've got your own uh, you've got your own foot in the door in regards to what you're trying to do but when it's happening and that person isn't involved then it's different so i didn't know i can't tell you but it it it, it really spooked me i mean you know based on what i know of you i mean all kidding aside it, it takes a lot to do yeah. that so that's mm. that's alarming i mean obviously no details but what what was the general nature of some of the things that people had revealed that you didn't think they wanted to have revealed? People's sexuality, um, people's really adultery. Uh, oh shit! People's history of parental abuse. When I say it was Holy a very Christ. very challenging session, it was it was revealing conversations and situations that you are you are as 17 year old people you are not comfortable you are not comfortable talking about at that particular age living in the area i grew up in as well of course yeah so yeah you know strange things we had somebody's christ i mean one one night we had somebody's dead mum turn up and that was really hard because that really upset him and he was obviously because then he was thinking people were doing it on purpose sure but that was the same kind of thing. People were changing, and not everybody knew what his mum was called. Yikes! I I got to tell you, man, none of this makes me feel like I've missed out by not doing it. <laughs> but the vast majority of times we did it, it was absolute bobbins, nonsense. However, however, there's the kernel of something that I think, on occasion, manifests itself from where it comes from and what it is. I could not tell you, but I don't think. Everything that happens on a Ouija board is auto simulation by the users. I mean, I was, I was thinking about that. I guess, like with anything, it's, you know, we talk about the paranormal and, and these kinds of things, and it's not a science, right? And th- we were talking recently about psychics on a Talk Spooky and how if any psychic tells you they can do it all the time, constantly, they're probably full of shit because the, the machinery which allows these kinds of things to work seems to be so sensitive and so delicate that, you know, the slightest thing will throw them off. So it makes sense that of all the hundreds and hundreds of, of bullshit experiences, 
you know, or sorry, like out of all the experiences you do, most of them would be bullshit. Uh, but you know, obviously if there's something out there that it would, it would, you know, it would take some, some doing to, to actually attach to those things and to be in the same place. Cause there is sort of this question of, we sort of get this thing, this idea that the other side is so close that they know everything mm. and that they're, it's just right there. You just reach out, you can touch and you can, you can go contact Elvis or grandma or whoever. And you just got to say, Inka Dinka do, and you're in touch with them. But it makes sense that no, you're, you're just like, you were joking about throwing out the, throwing out the lure, you know, you're doing that. You're throwing out a lure and you're seeing who comes up and maybe most of the time it's bullshit because there's nothing out there to pick up the, to pick up the phone, but sometimes there is. Yeah. Careful what you wish for. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, Peter. Good riddance from N. So I'd been doing a bit of decorating over the weekend and had Spotify auto playing podcasts in the background. Having gone through all the latest shows I subscribed to, the algorithm started delving back into random old episodes, eventually coming to the Ghost Story Guys episode 101. How much is that ghost dog in the window? I listened to this episode at the point it came out back in January 2021, and hearing the story once again about a bat-like creature materialising in someone's bedroom, as well as Brennan's own experience of something like a bat seemingly flying into his chest while in bed one night, reminded me that I'd never made contact about my own, vaguely similar story. So here it is. Back in the early 2000s, we'd just moved into our first home. It was a modern, two-storey, semi-detached house in which we felt was a nice neighbourhood, and we had a good feeling about moving in. However, trouble started the very next morning. Nothing paranormal, this was all very explicable. It was the neighbours from the house that joined onto ours. We initially thought there was like a kid's party going on, with loud music, yelling and slamming doors. Well, all right, it happens. Just a rambunctious party, a one-off. But then the next day was the same. And the next. And the next. We were used to hearing neighbours from living in previous rentals, but this seemed a bit... excessive. We then started to hear loud arguments and yelling at all hours of the day and night from the adults who lived there. We tried talking to them in a friendly way about it, but this was met with hostility and accusations, which spilled over into personal abuse and threats being directed at us and visitors to our home. The people who lived there, and there seemed to be a lot of them, would send their kids across into our garden to peer through our windows and bang at the glass before running away, and they started emptying garbage over the fence into our yard. As we spoke to other neighbours in the street, we slowly realised that it was well known that these people in the adjoining house were problematic. Apparently they'd conducted a long-standing feud with the people we'd bought the house from, and it seemed they were enjoying themselves too much to stop just because the previous occupants had moved out. Funnily enough, none of this had been mentioned before we moved in, with our seller describing the people next door as lovely and quiet. This was not true. We later found out that just a few weeks before we moved in, these neighbours had apparently climbed into what was now our house through the downstairs window and the police had been called to the property. So there followed several months of misery as we went through official channels involving the local council's noise abatement team, community police officers and messaging the landlord renting the house to these people who lived in another country. But doing things the right way only seemed to make matters worse. 
Before long, we were being woken multiple times every night by loud blows, which sounded like someone battering the bedroom wall between the two properties with a golf club and slamming doors as hard as they could. This alternated with TV and music turned right up to ear-splitting levels, seemingly in an effort to make our lives unbearable. We'd spent absolutely all our savings on the mortgage deposit and the cost of moving in, so we couldn't afford to sell up or rent anywhere else. We felt trapped. The police had said there was nothing more they could do as it was a civil matter, not a criminal matter. The council had ineptly carried out an investigation involving noise recording equipment, but had decided it was all fine and within the normal parameters, and so declined to take any further action. The landlord had said it was up to the lettings management agency to sort out any issues around antisocial behaviour, while the lettings place said the exact opposite. Solicitors' letters inflamed things further. No one would help us. Eventually, my partner went back to stay at her family home, as she simply couldn't function anymore in such an environment, and I was left alone in the house. I was permanently on the wires of my nerves, always waiting for the next round of noise to begin. It was December, it was cold, and we realised if next door thought our house was empty, then they wouldn't bother with the noise-making. They'd move around as normal, and we could barely hear them. Only once they knew we were home would they start with the music and banging, so most nights I stayed out really late, then parked my car around the corner and crept back home, keeping the lights off before climbing into bed by a torchlight. One night, they must have spotted me walking up to my front door, because not long after I got in... They gave me the full works. Yep, TV up full blast, door slamming, and for some reason, Shania Twain playing at high volume. Which in itself is terrifying. After an hour or so of this, they started hitting the adjoining wall with whatever it was they used. Earplugs are useless against slamming and banging like this. It's as much as a vibration as a noise, and I tried all sorts of ways to block my ears, but nothing worked. I was utterly exhausted and completely broken. I felt I'd already lost the new home we'd worked so hard to make happen, and my relationship could not survive this strain. I lay there in bed, sleep being an impossibility listening to the thumps and bangs and laughter coming through the bedroom wall. I was far too gone to even weep at what was happening to my life at the hands of these deeply twisted people, who seemed to find such enjoyment in tormenting us, for no apparent reason other than they could. And for some reason... I was thinking of my grandfather who had died eight years before. I don't know why I might have been thinking of him, but I can recall kind of mumbling, almost praying, in a disjointed way for someone to help me, to do something, to make this absolute hell stop, because I didn't think I could go on anymore. I'll be brutally honest here, and sadly say that I'd already started thinking about suicide as a way to make this all stop. I just couldn't see any other way out, and had found myself on several occasions in a disassociative state, feeling like I was on autopilot as I started to put myself into a dangerous situation, and thinking that I only needed to take a few more steps, and that I wouldn't have to worry about any of this anymore. The next bit is when it becomes weird, and I appreciate that I was in a very, very poor mental state at the time, and suffering from sleep deprivation and immense stress. But nonetheless, I suddenly became aware of a swarm of what looked to me like black bats flying into my bedroom from the upstairs landing from outside the bedroom door, which was lying open a few inches. I don't remember sitting up in bed to look, and the light was off, 
so I couldn't have seen anyway. But somehow I knew that they were coming from the ceiling just above the hall staircase. It's like they were passing down through the ceiling from the storage attic overhead and into the upstairs hall. They then flew right through the bedroom door, dozens of them, completely noiselessly, right over my body, and then they vanished straight through the centre of the bedroom wall that separated me from next door, like the wall wasn't even there. It maybe only lasted eight seconds or so from beginning to end, but the thumps and laughter coming from the wall stopped, and then the screaming began, like screams of absolute terror from next door. When I woke up the following morning, because I had properly slept for the first time in a long time, all I could think of was, wow, what a weird dream. I'd assumed I'd been so tired and overwrought that I'd finally just blacked out and had experienced some vivid dreaming while I was out of it. I got up, went out to work, and that night went over to see my partner at her mother's house to try and talk through what our options were. While we were talking, my phone beeped. It was the landlord of the house next door, messaging me to say that his tenants, our problem neighbours, had handed in their notice that day and would be leaving soon. I went home later, and sure enough the noise-making had stopped. I didn't hear any more of the slamming and banging from that day on. It was just... normal. After a while, my partner felt able to move back in. TV volumes stayed low. There was no loud music. We didn't have them hanging out of windows and jeering after us as we came and went. They seemed wary of us. As it turned out, they didn't even stay out their notice period and just left not long after. We never heard exactly why they decided to suddenly leave, though later I found out from the landlord that the place had been left in a terrible state, with significant damage done to the walls and doors. There had been months in arrears on their rent. Later still, I heard through the grapevine that the same people had been evicted from their new place too for harassing their neighbours. Clearly, there was a pattern. I still don't really know what to make of this all these years later. The memory of seeing dozens and dozens of bats appearing in the hallway and flying straight over me and into the separating wall is so odd, but so jarringly clear still. On one hand, I feel like I experienced a dream or hallucination brought on by the stress of the living situation. That's the simplest answer. And to be honest, I've always been a little sceptical of people describing things they think they saw in their bedroom at night. The brain does do funny things between wakefulness and sleep, and I've had a number of experiences where I sort of figure or something standing by my bed, or indeed a lizard once, but I don't think I really did. This seemed different though, and there was the fact that these people, who had taunted us that they were going nowhere and could do whatever they liked to us, suddenly decided to split the very next day. And that, with nothing obvious having changed, their whole manner towards us completely changed from pugnacious and truculent to strangely cowed, literally overnight. Did someone or something hear my desperate garbled pleas for help that night and decide to step in? I guess I'll never know what really happened, but I was glad that the trouble stopped before things took a very dark turn, as I really felt unable to cope for much longer. The next people who came along to rent the house next door were just great and ended up buying the place from the landlord to be their family home. 
They became good friends, and it was hard to recall at times just how close to the edge we'd been before. We ultimately outgrew our house and moved away a couple of years back, and I really hadn't given the whole bat event much thought for a long, long time, until the animal ghost episode nudged it back into my consciousness. So, a belated thank you for episode 101, for jogging my memory, and indeed, for all the episodes. Well, and thank you very, very much. That's an incredible story. I, how shit is your landlord, or was your landlord, that they couldn't evict those goddamn people, despite the fact they were engaging in open warfare on you, yet the next landlord just went, nope, get on your bike, GTFO. I mean, how, how shit and hands off must they have been to let that happen? That is monstrous, man. Four words, Molotov, Ignite, Throw, Sorted. True, although it was a duplex, so I feel like you're setting half your house on fire. Yeah. Not if you've got a fire hose that's drilled to the floor, you've not. <laughs> Weird, you were, you were prepared to fight a house fire, and your neighbor's house caught on fire. That, that worked out really well, but we noticed you only put out the, the fire on your side. I just found it in a yard sale, officer. <laughs> just lucky timing, what can I say? Coincidence. That's, yep, yeah, prove otherwise, I challenge you. <laughs> I've washed my hands. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> in acid, that's why I have no fingerprints anymore. <laughs> I'm told that doesn't work. I'll find out later. Um, there we go. Allegedly. Yeah. I, I love a supernatural revenge story. I think it's brilliant. But yeah, I mean, neighbours can sometimes... They're just... Human beings can be absolute shits at times. There's, the, the, these people are like hyenas. They just prey on nice, normal people. Because they think they can. Because they're just bullies. They're bullies and cowards. Yeah. Strength in numbers. That, and they're just scumbags. Um, Imagine how spiritually empty you have to be. Not only to put someone else through that, but to have to have nothing better going on in your life, but to then sit through it. While you're playing the drums on your doors and blaring Shania Twain, you can't do other things. You don't have a life. You know, you're not working on your stamp collection. You're not watching television while Shania is playing. That's just not happening. And so this is your whole life, is just being a piece of shit. Well, to be honest, Shania Twain would have been the straw that broke the camel's back and I'd have just stormed in there with nunchucks flailing. Well, you know the great thing about your neighbours playing Shania Twain through your walls, Paul? can only go up from here. <laughs> thought you were going to say that don't impress you much. Well, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> So I'm always delighted when the supernatural steps in to help decent people deal with assholes. A hundred percent. And, you know, I also love too that this person gave some life to episode 101 because I'm going to be honest with you and I don't remember recording that episode at all. I know we recorded it. I know it exists. I know the cover is there because it's one of my laziest covers that I've ever designed for an episode uh, because I was barely a functioning human at that point. But I love that someone got something useful out of that, man. Because like I said, I remember fuck all about making that show. I, my memory doesn't click on until I want to say 104, maybe 105. There's just this, this blackout period of about, uh, I guess it'd be about two or three months where I just have very little recollection of making anything. So I'm, I'm really happy that someone took something from that. That probably when you were on the qualoids, wasn't it? That would have made life easier, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. 
I really I would have benefited from more drug use back then. I was I was just raw dog in reality, man, and it was no fun. I don't remember that time, but that was my smack you. Well, again, would have been better. <laughs> would have been a, would have been an improvement. Um. So, uh, yeah, what a what a wonderful story. I like it. I'm really glad that despite those troubles, you were able to hang in there because you know there is the other aspect of all this is the is the mental stress that it it puts on you because any anybody that's had the misfortune of living next to even as i was mentioning earlier a particularly stupid person as a neighbor and and they're just shitty behavior that they it it, it it's like living next door to some kind of neanderthal who you yeah. know the kind of people who poo in their back garden just all right let's not get to judge you here <laughs> something coming for me personally but um yeah I mean, that's a great way to get your revenge. And I, I hope they were absolutely terrified and were afraid for the, to open their eyes and uh, broken people inside to match their dark, evil souls. Amen to that. The Goth Shadow Man from Terry. In the 90s, I was living in a nice but small studio apartment in Phoenix, Arizona. The studio had only one main room along with a kitchen and bathroom so I slept on a fold-out futon in the living space. The one and only door to my apartment was a few feet away from where I slept. One night I woke up suddenly out of a sound sleep for no apparent reason. There was no sound that woke me, just an eerie feeling like I was being watched. I got up and looked around, but didn't see anything amiss. For some reason, the feeling continued, so I carefully peeked out the front window and noticed a man standing about halfway up the staircase to my apartment. This was weird since each studio had its own private staircase, so anyone using it would be coming to my place specifically. The guy standing there was visible only by a dim overhead light. He was seemingly dressed all in black with long stringy black hair. I was a bit groggy, so at first I thought it was an ex-boyfriend who was a musician in a goth band. He also had long black hair. I decided to get a closer look through the door peephole. When I looked again, I noticed the guy wasn't dimensional. The figure looked flat as I viewed him from the side. He was entirely black with no features and had the silhouette of unruly hair. I now realized whatever it was, it wasn't a real person. It just stood there, leaning against the stair railing, facing sideways, almost as if it was looking off into the distance. My fear started to grow as the figure showed no signs of leaving, and there was no other way out of the place if I wanted to run. As a natural response, I double-bolted the door, as if that could protect me from the thing. I wondered if it could somehow get in. My heart was racing as my fear became very intense. I didn't know what to do. At this point, I looked away for a split second, and when I looked again, it was gone. If it was a real person, which it wasn't, I would have seen it walking down the steps. I never saw it again, but it creeped me out so much that soon after this event, I moved out. And yeah, Terry, I would too. That is not great. I was telling Paul in the patron bonus that I, I tried to watch this horror movie called Grim Cuddy with Nick, and the villain from that sounds a lot like what you're describing, and the fact that I tried to watch it uh, and instead ended up watching Subspecies is indicative of the quality. So the idea that this thing would then visit me in real life terrifying because i'm worried it would bore me as much as the movie did <laughs> it's just gary newman visiting his fans it's to be frightened of as long as it's not gary glitter <laughs> <God>. <laughs> paul gad
is his real name. Oh, is it? He says not real either. I bet Josh Gad is thrilled about that. <laughs> yeah, everybody, anybody called Gad. Yeah, that's always the death. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, where I work, there's one of our, there's an employee called Peter Sutcliffe, and I cannot imagine what it must be like to share the name with a notorious serial killer, especially as he also works in Leeds. I know someone who works with an Ian Watkins. One of the strangest things about all that scenario was the fact that there are two Ian Watkins in the British music industry. One is a convicted paedophile and, and downright scumbag, and the other is a camp member of the band Steps. Oof. So when it all kicked off, one of them was getting death threats, and it wasn't the right one. Oh, it never fails, man. It never fails. I would have changed my name. I would I, I would have changed I, something, I don't know to what, Dick Harden. I don't know, something... <laughs> Well, that uh, Australian racing horse racing commentator Willie Stroker. There you go. I would have. I would have. Cha- I would rather live my life as Willie Stroker <laughs> than share a name with that guy. <laughs> One of those famous pieces of British cricket commentary: the boulders holding the batsman's Willie. <laughs> All of these are preferable. <laughs> Going back to Terry's story, I, I was thinking, I, this isn't the first time we've had Shadow People stories where they're two-dimensional. Mm. And I, I know we've talked a little bit about the thing Devin brought up on a Talk Spooky show where, you know, th- these things are probably not actually shadows, they're just drawing in the light around them. And again, it, the fact that there are some of them are two-dimensional suggests to me that there's some kind of, yeah, we're not seeing creatures made of shadow, we're seeing something, we're seeing something we can't see. And that's almost worse because it's it's not like if it was just oh these are just shadows that shape like people fine but they're actually just this the shadows are hiding something that we either cannot see or cannot understand and and not that all this stuff always has to be scary but i will say i'm not crazy about that concept i'm always intrigued by things like that especially when it's things that are absorbing light or bending reflections around them or something cuz that's just you know taking you into a world of quasi physical dimension altering realities Oh, yeah. As I say, that's, I think, where the paranormal gets really interesting. I mean, I'm always up for a conversation with the paranormal. I'm always up to read more, to learn more about it. But for me, when it gets really interesting is when it, it reaches this place where we have to start trying to figure out what's going on. You know, and not just saying stone tape theory or repeater or all that horseshit, residual haunting, but actually saying, okay, so how, how are we perceiving these things? Because everything is perceived through our senses, through our brain. So what tricks is it using to get past our our visual sense, you know, what, what trick is it using to get into our head and to get to, you know, to be able to kind of be, uh, be seen by our senses, but not seen more than it cares to. Well, maybe it, it exists at either end of the light spectrum and therefore it can only be seen in certain circumstances. Again, I, I think you might be onto something there. I mean, it, it begs so many questions, of course, none of which we have answers to. And if anyone tells you they do, they're lying, but, um, I'm endlessly fascinated by the question. I mean, well, to be fair, they're, they're both, the both stories we've just had or referenced have some strange kind of alternate reality to them, like the bat popping in and popping out. Well, that can't happen. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And now you've got a two-dimensional goth hanging around, which is good as well, because, you know, I often make a joke about where are we seeing the modern ghosts. Mind you, when I was talking to Kev, we were talking about one of the ghosts that he's aware of which is a, a, a man who is clearly dressed as if he's a, a young, young chap in the 1990s over here in the UK with his clothes and his stuff. So he doesn't look that odd. 
but it, right. but he's seen at times that nobody's in the building, so they know he, he right. can't be a real person. So um, I find that Terry's story fascinating. I mean, Phoenix is a, you know, if if I lived in Phoenix and all I saw was a goth shadow man, I'd be a bit disappointed. Look to the skies, Terry. <sighs> this is our last story for this episode. I stumbled upon the Ghost Story Guys podcast a few weeks ago and have really enjoyed listening so far. A couple of the episodes I listened to recently made mention of the Night Hag. I'd never heard of this before, but I was struck by the similarity of certain accounts of the Night Hag with an incident that happened to me a few years ago when I was in college and moved back home to my parents' house. I always thought it was a really bizarre episode of sleep paralysis, but after hearing about the Night Hag, I'm now questioning that. My parents' house is located in a very typical suburb in Michigan, built sometime in the 1950s. Nothing unusual to speak of, but there's always been something a little off about the energy in the house. I'm sensitive about vibes places give off, and their house has always seemed to have some intermittent weirdness, shall we say. I've seen plenty of things out the corners of my eyes, have had things move around me, and have more than once had one of my parents call out my name, just for me to storm out of my room, frustrated, after receiving no response from them to find I was home alone. But nothing compares to the incident of sleep paralysis I experienced one night, not long after I'd moved back home. Now, I should start by saying that I'm the ideal candidate to experience sleep paralysis. If you run down the list of causes, I tick a lock of those boxes and I'm no stranger to it. I've experienced several episodes of it well before and well after the incident. However, none of them have been remotely close to what happened that night, and in none of the episodes before or after have I ever been able to open my eyes. Counterintuitive still is that once I actually fall asleep, I sleep like the dead. Like, set three alarms for three different times in the morning with the volume all the way up to have a snowball's chance in hell of waking up on time. Dead. So it takes a lot to rouse me when I'm finally out. <laughs> the incident happened after I left for college, but came crawling back home, hat in hand, after a single year away at university. I was stressed out of my mind, worried about classes and money, and the fact that I hated the dorms so I decided to come back and finish up at the local university instead. Setting the perfect scene for a stress-induced episode of sleep paralysis, am I right? The incident happened one night, I believe, in the summer, sometime after settling in back home. My bedroom was located upstairs and is the only full room in the upper level of the house. The room is oddly shaped, with dormers casting strange shadows, with the access door to the attic located just a few feet from my bed. That room always gave me the creeps, and as a result I kept several nightlights plugged in to help keep the creepy corners of the room illuminated. I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm a bit afraid of the dark. The best way I can describe what happened is to explain it as if I woke up, then promptly fell back asleep, just to immediately wake again, several times in rapid succession. The problem being, I don't actually know when I was awake versus when I was asleep. It all felt so real and like no dream or sleep paralysis episode I've ever experienced before. It started with me waking up frozen. My body felt heavy and a sense of dread came over me. In my groggy haze I thought, here we go again. I hate sleep paralysis. It always makes me panic. 
because, you know, paralysed. But this time, I felt a terrible sense of dread. And this time I was able to open my eyes, which had never happened before. I opened my eyes to see a woman standing at the foot of my bed, menacing and staring at me. It was so weird as if I could see her, but also I couldn't at the same time. It was like there was some kind of interference that made the picture look sort of fuzzy. So I can't really describe what she'd look like other than wrong. Just wrong. I panics, of course, but then next thing I know I'm waking up again. But alas, no woman at the end of the bed. I'm relieved, thinking it's over. Suddenly, though, I'm waking up again. And she's back, but this time closer to the foot of the bed. This happens again and again and again, back and forth between the woman being gone, then appearing again at the foot of the bed. Closer and closer, until the last time, when I thought she was finally gone, only to look more closely to see just the top of her head, and her eyes peeking up from the foot of the bed, staring at me. I awoke one final time for real, to see no woman, and discover that I was able to move my body again. The sense of dread lingered heavily, and I was scared out of my wits, but unable to bring myself to get up to vacate the room. It's like I was glued to the bed and my whole body felt like it was tingling and my muscles were sore, like I'd just worked out. The same kind of feeling as when you're coming down from a sudden adrenaline spike. I told my parents about it the next morning and we all shook it off agreeing that wow, that was a really strange and terrifying thing to happen. I chalked it up to one of my sleep paralysis episodes and tried to move on. I think about it often though, when it's late and I'm having trouble falling asleep or any time I'm awoken in the middle of the night feeling an overwhelming sense of dread with my body tingling, just like that night. Describing the whole thing now sounds like it was just a stress-induced nightmare. No big deal, right? But I can't express just how terrifying it was at that moment. Everything felt so real. Nothing in my room was distorted, as is often the case with dreams and nightmares, along with the fact that the entire time, in real time, I was baffled by what was happening to me. I was aware, in the moment, as it was happening, that I wasn't sure what was real and what was a dream. The only other times I've been that lucid during dreaming have been the times I've dreamt of my grandparents, who have all sadly passed away visiting me. Those dreams always leave me with a creepy feeling as well, but no dread. So thank you for sharing that, Anonymous. The whole the idea that you're, you keep waking up, but you can't stay awake? It's almost like something is pulling you back down. I have, I have definitely had that. And it's, it's always disconcerting because it, 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 the dreams start to bleed over. You're not quite sure what's real and what's not. And, and I remember uh, when I was in Montreal, I started watching this movie called Reflections of Evil. And if you're ever curious, folks, prepare yourself. It, it's, it's streaming for free on Tubi. Uh, it's crazy. It's, dis, it's disturbing. It was made by a filmmaker, uh, uh, one guy, who inherited some money from a relative when they passed, and he made this bonkers movie. It, again, it, it is the work of, I think, a mentally unwell person, and there is nothing else like it in the world. It's disturbing and disturbed. Um, but I started watching it, and I, I fell asleep while it was on, and I got to tell you, I had the, one of the worst nights. Again, because the film itself feels 
like the physical manifestation of someone's mental mental health uh, or pardon me, their mental illness. And it just felt like somehow that connected. And I kept waking up even after I turned it off, I kept waking up back into the world, but feeling like I was also in this other place. It was, it was, yeah, deeply unpleasant. And again, I've had that several times where I actually a couple nights ago it happened. I kept waking up on the couch and I was having this feeling like I shouldn't be here. I should go to bed. I shouldn't be here. I should go to bed. But I, I couldn't stay awake long enough to do that. Again, it was like something kept pulling me. It was almost like if you, like you're coming out of the water and something pulls you back down. Have you ever experienced that? No, I haven't. I, I, I mean, the only thing I can kind of compare it to is, is, is when I had food poisoning and I was essentially in bed for three days. Oh, okay. And I didn't, I, I didn't know by, after, after, by the second day, I had no idea what day it was, what time it was, right. where I was. And I kept, and I got the radio on all day and I kept dropping on it. You know, when you listen to commercial radio, every two hours they play the same songs. Sure. So there were times when I was dropping off and then waking up and the same song was on. So I'd think I'd be out for like five minutes, but I hadn't. I'd been out for like three hours. Oh, man. So it's very disconcerting, but as in a dream state, I've never had anything similar. I mean, I've only had, had one incident of sleep paralysis, um, which which was very odd. It was first thing in the morning. It was my normal time to wake up, but it, it's very odd. My eyes were open at that point as well. So I, I knew... I was like, what is going on? What is going on? It felt like I was being held down. It's a very odd sensation. It's it's frightening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I've told you the story that happened uh, during the pandemic when I had the dream about the creatures who played a game with bones. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I fell asleep on the couch, like facing our door. And in the dream, I was <laughs> facing a door and these little gnome creatures were, yeah, throwing bones as some kind of game. And they, they saw me watching them turn around and said, go to bed. I woke up on the couch and I thought, I'm going to bed. Bye. Yep, exactly. Good night. Y'all have a good night. <laughs> uh, I miss those dreams we had in the pandemic. Where is Feruza Bulk? <laughs> okay, if I'd had dreams like that, maybe I would feel differently. I didn't get to go Bigfoot hunting with anyone. It was just nightmare after nightmare. <laughs> that was a whole weird fucking saga of a dream. One day I want to read that written down. I think the next the next book should be this story. Why stopping smoking makes your head go mad by Paul. I will buy the first copy. I am there. <laughs> well, if you do that, I'll autograph it in someone else's blood. Deal. I require no convincing. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, it is past midnight where Paul is, and oh. I have tickets to see Oppenheimer in about four and a half hours. I've heard that film's the bomb. Get off the stage. Where's that gong? <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. No, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's goodnight from me, and it's goodnight from him. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our Ghost Wars shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, 
there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere you get your podcasts. The latest episode, What's Your Canon Event, just came out, and that is a uh, celebration of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse that looks at canon events throughout folklore, fated events. Uh, it is, it's a really fun show, and again, you can check out Luke Lore everywhere you get your podcasts. Joseph Show is The Cardinal Rule. You can find that on YouTube, and that is about Arizona Cardinals football. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. And of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the inimitable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Well, I'm joined by our mutual friend and uh, all-round jolly good chap, Kev Eustace, this week as we talk ghosts and discuss a few interesting theories and thoughts and cases between ourselves and in between chuckling at each other's bad jokes <laughs> and uh, hopefully i've got another interview covering the fae so if you never hear from me again that'll be why well at least i know in advance i'll start prepping the job posting <laughs> <laughs> last co-host fairy led yeah that's it that's it actually uh make sure kev's not on that on that episode because i'm gonna need him <laughs> can't promise anything <laughs> and where can everyone find you online you can find mysteries and monsters across all old and new social media platforms and podcast aggregators lovely i'm largely the truth on twitter instagram threads and blue sky and you can find my movie podcast weird together which i co-host with joseph camo everywhere find podcasts live that is a celebration of independent horror films so if you're looking for something new to watch Come find Weird Together, and we will clue you into the good stuff. On the most recent episode, we talk about the modern Frankenstein parable, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, which is a, a really, really great film. It's uh, maybe a better drama than it is a horror movie, but there's still some effective, some effective stuff in there. And again, you can hear us talk about that on Weird Together. 
As we said at the top of the show, we exist because of our patrons and our Apple Podcast subscribers, and we cannot thank you enough. If you want to join the team, get a bunch of cool stuff, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Or by signing up to GSG Premium on Apple Podcasts. And you will get access to bonus shows like Host Adventures, extra conversations between me and Paul on every main episode. So essentially you're getting a bonus episode with the main episode and all kinds of other cool stuff. And again, you'll find that at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or by signing up to Ghost Story Guys Premium via Apple Podcasts. And if you sign up at the $20 level and above, well, my fine feathered friends, that makes you part of an elite club. A little club we like to call Ghost Force. <laughs> That's right. Patrons at the $20 level and above get thanked every second show as part of Ghost Force because we all live in a yellow submarine. Yellow submarine. I don't know why, we just do. It could be this can of cold brew coffee I drank before we started. I'm not sure. Or 90s flashbacks. I feel like you probably did more drugs than I did back then. No comment. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. (laughs) This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Ethan Saragon. Amy Chamberlain. Bren wears a pink tutu. Pretty, 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 pretty. Carrie Lambertus. Cheryl Baker. Crazy Mom. C.T. Aaron White. Generic Bob. Haga Thunder. Hannah Brown. Hannah Siemens. Hillary DeSasseur. Jade Moores. Jason R. Slaughter. Slaughter, 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 Slaughter. JJ907. Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Sherko. Jessica Linder. Joseph Como. Kimberly Hansen. Betty Leatherman. Maranari Eager. Mark Simler. Merlin Hansen. Michael Carney. Peter Gunn 08.5. Renata Hawks. Robin Tian. Rockin' Ronnie Shenanigans. Cool name, Rockin' Ronnie. Raz Manriquez. And Samantha Ellis. Ooh. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. <laughs> real guys thank you so so much we cannot tell you how much we appreciate you we appreciate all our patrons but we especially appreciate ghost force you guys are nuts <laughs> and if you want your name read out there and again you can as bren wears a pink tutu which i'll even say it in the voice for you bren wears a pink tutu <laughs> you can have us say more or less anything you want there oh more or less you know there are limits there are limits yeah, but if we maybe get Paul to say, I love Clamato juice, you know, then we might, might have something. Zach Baggins is my king. <laughs> there, see, we'll say any kind of dumb shit. <laughs> Leave the Warrens alone. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> There's no amount of money. Well, it might be. No, find my number. Find my number. <laughs> At what point will I actually say something nice about the Warrens? I'm going to tell you. There's more than, there's three digits at least involved. <laughs> How sad is that? You can buy my honor for a hundred bucks. <laughs> mm, I've always liked you being a cheap date. What can I say? <laughs> three Clamatos and your anyone's. 
<laughs> yeah, but after three Clamato juice, no one wants you. <laughs> What's that smell? That's just Bren. Three Clamatos deep. <laughs> so again, if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or sign up to GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. Paul, my friend, do you have any appearances coming up? We'll be appearing on an upcoming episode of Supernatural Circumstances, though I'm not sure when it is going to be landing. Excellent. All right. We'll keep an eye out on our social media for that. And I am doing a voice on an episode of Our Strange Skies for Rob Christofferson. I'm not sure when that's coming out, but you will hear me talk about UFO things. Uh, Rob's words, I'm just, I'm just supplying a supplying my voice. But again, that's Our Strange Skies, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. We have all kinds of cool shit there. We have stickers, t-shirts, mugs, and a whole lot more. And of course, you get a personalized thank you video from me uh, if you buy something. Uh, And if you have bought something and you have not yet got your video, it is just because I am slow, but it is coming, I promise. ADHD is a hell of a thing. (laughs) Don't forget, we're going to be at Paramit in Rugby in the UK the first weekend of September. And Paul is going to be giving a presentation, and we will be there on the floor. Uh, we'll have a table. You can come hang out with us. We, we will say terrible things to you. Uh, <laughs> well, I will say terrible things, and Paul will cringe. Um, but yeah, come hang out with us at Paramit. We would love to see you guys there. Uh, take some photos with us. Again, you can throw grapes into our mouths. It's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know what people do at conventions, Paul. Can you tell? <laughs> well, yeah. Usually they tend to avoid the weird person. Well, that's my whole life, so it's no different there. No, you'll you'll be fine. Trust me, I've I've seen some of the people that go to British conventions. <laughs> All right, I'll, I I in the land of the blind, this one-eyed man is about to be king. <laughs> Shout out to our composer Jerry Smith. Jerry is a film journalist and musician from Central California. His new project, Street Witch, is available on streaming platforms everywhere. Or you can check him out at streetwitch.bandcamp.com. That's streetwitch. The W is two V's. Bandcamp.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursoff of Pizanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Both those artists are streaming courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings, the Ghost Story Guys house label. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back next week with the mini show. But until then... Into the darkness we go. I can't tell you the number of people who've said to me, oh man, I heard a story just like yours on Spooked. I'm like, yeah, I know, because I had a conversation with one of their producers in 2019 and then they ghosted me and I told it to her on that phone call and then they just stopped returning my messages. Hmm. Hmm. Seems to be a theme in the paranormal elements of people stealing other people's intellectual property. But anyway, moving on. Yes. <laughs> I used to kind of just kind of hint at that. Now I'm like, fuck it. It was spooked. I don't care. They can go fuck themselves. Oh, yeah. Soft hands. Who the fuck are you, man? What's going on here?
Peter Guns 08.5. Michael Kearney, you missed him. Fuck. <laughs> Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 